Hey there, I'm Breezy. Welcome to Breezy Lifestyle. This series called From Struggle to Success is as real as it is helpful. Every episode I share with you a real life story of mine with one if not many struggles. I then show you the error of my ways and how I can do better moving forward as well as how I could have done better then too. Through real examples of my struggling to success, I show how neuroscience and implementing lifestyle success tools can help us rather than continue to hurt us. We discover the power within ourself and how to shape the world around us as we need it for a lifetime. Through the foundation of science and my real life, I show how you can turn any struggle into an absolute success without totally having to change who you are. It's all about making better choices every day to feel better as to live better for a lifetime. I took back control of my life and so can you. Welcome to From Struggle to Success. This episode is going to focus on how alcohol destroyed years of my sleep life and therefore made many attempts at destroying my entire life. Obviously, I was drinking most evenings. Sleep is the foundation to life. Without sleep, we would not be able to drink our much needed water or breathe in our ever needed oxygen. Sleep is not a pillar to life. It is the solid ground for all of life. Alcohol has no foundation in my life, and I think I could challenge you all and posit that consuming alcohol does not offer a beneficial foundation in your life as well. What do you think? I have not been a drinker my whole life. I can actually recall the year when I started drinking at least five nights a week. I entered a relationship, and though the red flags were the most glaring I have ever seen, even to this day, because I had an immense amount of loneliness growing inside me, I ignored them. I actively chose to ignore them. What I should have done was moved out of Wisconsin, like every bit of my being was screaming at me to do, like way back in 2017 or 2016, the only thing holding me back were my own self-created fears and negative beliefs. That's it. I've been a business owner since I was 23. I have so much financial autonomy or independence. I am a very capable person. I chose because of my fears to stay exactly where I shouldn't anymore. And if we know anything about addiction, the first thing that we should always do, or the first, honestly, if we know anything about just creating absolute change in our life, you have to change your environment first. So it's not even about addiction. Addiction is just always an absolutely brilliant example because if those people can change, I believe almost anybody can change. 
So fun fact, this podcast is being recorded in Florida because I finally took back control of my life and did what I needed. Not just so I could thrive, but so I could even just survive. My move to Florida in 2019 was the beginning of a long journey of unpacking trauma, getting super effing honest with myself, and releasing loads of people, places, and things that are not and will not ever be aligned with my needs and my life vision. Think about the things in your life. And yeah, you might not use the words alignment or vision, but are the things in your life working for you or against you? Do they make you feel good? Are you ruminating on it every night? I'm going to use a word in a second, a word that most of us all will say, that's not me. Here's the thing. Nowadays in our modern world, we all live with at least one low-grade addiction. Think about social media, phones, food, substances, TV, video games, dating shitheads, etc. In my words, we are all addicted to our own bullshit. What's your go-to? What's your vice? We may call it our treat after a stressful day, our coping mechanism, our happy place. The things that bring us instant pleasure are almost always the things that bring problems, too. Taking insightful and powerful words from Dr. Anna Lemke, we can make our lives better, especially when we understand the source of our suffering. Paradoxically, a major source of our suffering may be the very things that give us so much instantaneous pleasure. So, by eliminating those things to the extent that we're able to for a long enough period for our brains to recalibrate, she really does believe that that will be a major aha moment for most of us. So when most of us realize that the very things we're reaching for are the very things that we should set down and never touch again, the moment we realize the things that we are reaching for are actually keeping us farther away from our needs, that is the moment we take back control. That is the moment we start understanding the concept of leveraging our dopamine. This is a life project worth doing. And you can do it, you can take back control. You don't have to be addicted. We all have dopamine driving us in certain ways. If I can do it, you can do it. Okay, so back to me drinking at night. I am super tiny. So per the whole blood alcohol rule, and regardless that I was born and raised in the drinking state of Wisconsin, having three glasses of wine puts me in drunk land, for example. Or having two vodka martinis, I'm, I'm gone. Boop. So rewind to the most abusive and ridiculous relationship I will ever be in. I started drinking. Oh, did I start drinking. He was an alcoholic, you see. 
Yep, and I was a stoner. For the first year, I did not have a desire to drink alongside him and a shared friend of ours. I really didn't. And they were drinking really shitty beer. Wow, did they always have to have beer on hand, at least. It's bizarre that I, that I even accepted this in my life. So weird now, because my boundaries are like the Great Wall of China. So I'm just amazed, but when my self-belief is a black hole of despair and hopelessness, it's almost like even the worst people can be seen with rose-colored glasses. Loneliness has us do the most detrimental things, and usually at some of the most important times in our life. I would say that when we're feeling lonely, that's almost should be like a trigger in our mind or our body to spend time with ourselves, but not that lonely kind of time, right? Get to know yourself. I work alone. I am home 10 hours alone every single day at least. I love it. Want to know why? Because I'm doing all of the things that I need to do. I am doing things that bring me pleasure as well as progress. I'm not lonely. And then when I reach out to people on my phone or I do go hang out with people, because I have a Great Wall of China boundaries now, I feel so fulfilled. And then I'm so filled up for such a long time. So when we build our life around our needs and when we honor our boundaries, there isn't a lot of room for loneliness. So yeah, I was really lonely. And you're probably wondering how I met him. No surprise here, he was my weed dealer. I thought he was nice and he had a full-time job. He told me that he did the dirty deeds on the side as to maintain a social life and feel a bit important. My compassion was toxic. I really hurt myself by over-understanding this person. We're going to talk a lot in other podcasts about how our compassion can be toxic to ourselves and others um, and how we bring people into our life because we see their potential or we just see certain things in them. Here's the thing. If it's not actively happening, if they're not actually being that thing that you see, they're not that person. And why are you putting in work when you could be sharing time with people who are already at your level, within your boundaries, and have shared values. I see so many females, especially, dating guys, and they're like, oh yeah, well he just needs to like change this, or transform, or you know, develop, or just get a bit more mature here, or finally get going on that thing, or change his job. It's so obvious that dopamine is running their whole vessel. And then they're like, but I love him. You guys, love is not enough. Values and shared vision and being able to function together every day. That is enough for a lifetime. And this is why a lot of my friends, once they get to their 30s or whatnot, finally go through the breakup that they should have done two to four years ago 
because they finally realize none of their needs are being met and they're just trying to make somebody into somebody that they're not. Put the work in on yourself. Don't put work in on other people. That was a huge mistake I made with this person. Major mistake. I thought I could save him. I thought I was so many things and I could extend it to him. All he did was take and take from me. And I let that happen. I'm not blaming him. I'm blaming myself. So can we all point out the blaring red flags here? Drug dealer. Makes friends with drug users. Spends leisure time driving around selling drugs for fun. Where are his normal friends at? Why isn't he doing beneficial things after his work day? And what else is he doing after his work day? Which I found out he's slamming IPAs. Slamming them. And if he, were, if he was going to be coming over to my place, he would tell me, oh, I have stuff to do, I'm really busy, which I'm a very aware person. All the time I would ask myself, what is he doing? And I could never answer it. If you can't answer those things, be concerned. Ask more questions. Find out the truth. You want to know why? The truth here was that he was slamming alcohol up until the last second when he finally had to come over and show up and be boyfriend. You better believe he wasn't even being boyfriend. He was so deep in his own dark abyss and you could read it on him all the time. Extremely overwhelming. And because I was so compassionate, I would just give and pour and just try and help and like see what he needed and oh, can I make you feel this way or let's do that to like change this. Do all those things for yourself. I'm going to say it again. Love isn't enough. And this wasn't love anyways. Listen, if you have a person in your life that you call your partner, then that human should be looking out for your well-being. This guy was only looking to support his addictions. So when I would drink, it would be encouraged. He would pour or make me another. As the relationship devolved and became more abusive, I learned to drink as a massive coping mechanism, I would immediately start drinking when the clock hit 7 p.m. A rule I made in an attempt to not feel or live like an addict. I would drink to ease the outrageous anxiety my body was trying to manage. I would drink to ease the bizarre and terrible emotional damage. And I would drink to help me fall asleep. Let me be really clear here. This guy felt so terrible about the abuse that when I separated from him for about six months, one of his amazing manipulative ploys to win me back was to pay for my weekly trauma therapy. He even suggested the therapy and printed off a massive local therapist list. He gave me the funds to go every week, which I now can see was one of his many ways to get to see me every week. Yep, I said six months because instead of taking back control within myself, I continued to relinquish all control and hand it over to him. I re-entered the relationship and you better believe I was super drinking at this point. I was even day drinking. Like, just give me red wine all the time. Oh my God. I just wanted to feel better in any and every moment. And I was failing to see that me feeling better was going to be in my actions of doing things differently. I was missing the point entirely. 
Feeling better and a better life is never going to be found at the bottom of a bottle. Not only is alcohol and its effects damaging enough, but add it to the mix that is little to no sleep, and I was quite very killing myself slowly. I'm not being dramatic. The science is far too compelling and in my words, shocking to not take seriously. A lot of humans like me think we need substances or chemicals to help sleep because we have trouble turning off our mind and feelings in the evening. Understand this, okay? Alcohol is a sedative. I was using it as a sleep aid to help fall asleep. But unfortunately, alcohol is anything but a sleep aid, to be clear. It is commonly used to turn off thoughts and loosen up the mind when in fact, we are just losing consciousness. What alcohol is actually doing is knocking out our cortex and sedating our cortex. We mistake this loss of consciousness for a sedation to sleep. I was losing consciousness every alcohol-induced night, but I was not necessarily falling asleep any faster or better. I was also very much certainly experiencing fragmented sleep, whether consciously recalling the multiple times I was waking up in the night or not. This is very scientifically true, people. I would wake up often, like super often, and that's not good for REM or going into a deep restful sleep, which are two different things. I would wake up constantly because alcohol gets a variety of mechanisms going and activates the autonomic fight-flight system. I'm trying to sleep here. My alcohol-induced sleep had littered my attempts for restful sleep with punctured awakenings. Alcohol straight up blocks REM sleep, people. REM is critical for cognitive functions, emotional and mental health, everything. If we do not REM, we will not live a healthy life. Fact. REM is like a self-generated overnight therapy emotional first aid. Think about it. Think about kids. Think about the fact that we are all kids that grew up. We just, you know, developed. Kids have a bedtime routine. The happiest kids usually have a full life routine, obviously with much space each day to play and exist as a kid, but still structured nonetheless. Adults fall apart emotionally when we do not sleep well. I'm a wreck. And with each passing month that I am now sleeping restful, I have become so aware to how crucial sleep is, especially for my emotional regulation. We all need sleep to function, especially if we want to function better or best. Does this sound familiar? Imagine you had a rough day. I'm already going to argue that with a growth mindset, that day likely would not be viewed as rough. Anyways. You get home and you want to unwind and feel better. So you say, oh, I need a drink. I'm stressed out. I'm feeling uneasy. Today was another rough one. The major mistake here is that we are teaching ourselves, we are teaching dopamine, that this behavior of drinking to cope 
and or to help us fall asleep, which we're usually emotionally coping because we have so much going on. It's like, ah, I can't sleep. The major mistake here is that we are teaching our body, we are teaching dopamine that this behavior of drinking to cope and or to go to sleep is something we should continue to do. No. Because we decided as well as communicated to our body, aka nervous system, that we are avoiding pain by drinking, dopamine is stoked to be present and just do its thing. Dopamine does not care what you do. Dopamine just cares that it is activated. Dopamine will motivate all of us to go towards all of the things that we have decided are pleasurable and continue to avoid our self-chosen pains. Remember, dopamine is like a seesaw. It is always trying to balance the pleasure pain. Always. So if we are always choosing pleasure, then it's always going to try and balance that back. And then you are always going to try and re-kick it with more pleasure. That's why we need to make healthy choices so that we're not rocking our own freaking dopamine boat so much that we topple and turn over and freaking drown. We can dopamine drown if you ask me. It will always try to balance the pleasure and pain by motivating us towards our chosen pleasures, even if it is a part of an addiction. Even if it means we're going to, for example, lose our kids. I would drink and smoke to cope with emotional pain and in turn, I was truly creating more pain and issues in my life. Obviously, these issues would need to be addressed sooner rather than later if I ever wanted to feel better and live better. Rather than cope in the meantime, I chose to take back control and heal for a lifetime. And how did I do that? By getting totally effing clear on my life vision. By reestablishing an unshakable self-belief and creating a daily routine, one that I actually honor, so you're not just gonna write it down and ignore it. Actually creating a daily useful routine for moving through life and for doing mornings and nights. So I'm telling myself what to do. My desires or my, my bodily wants aren't telling me anymore what to do. I am in control. If my brief story that umbrellas my massive alcohol problem is not compelling, here's some life-changing science. Drinking a glass or two with dinner even at 6 or 7 p.m absolutely has effect on our sleep. It is undeniable, even though I think we would all love to know and believe otherwise. Truthfully, is this information going to permanently stop me from consuming an alcoholic beverage in the evening ever again? No, it's not. What this information offers to me, and what a lot of facts offer to us, is the ability to discern and decide what we do each day and night. Information is empowering, it's not crippling. Consequences are direct answers to how we should move forward. Don't be ashamed. The more we learn about the world and our body and how it is all connected, the more we can weigh consequences, effects, and after the facts 
to determine if we do indeed want to engage in a behavior. My learning in heavy reminders that alcohol destroys sleep and therefore well-being is almost enough for me to change. The following are what absolutely shifted my gears. Hear this loud and clear as its truth of life. REM sleep is the greatest predictor of your life longevity. REM sleep. Not heart stuff or head stuff or anything stuff. REM sleep. It's a linear relationship between REM sleep and life longevity. The less REM sleep humans receive, the higher probability of death. And in this regard, we are talking about all-cause mortality, people. Never forget that alcohol indeed takes away REM sleep. Always. The culmination of the aforementioned, in addition to having negative health effects such as incredibly bad acid reflux, adult acne, and gastro issues of all sorts, oh my gosh, so painful. And knowing that I am going out and buying the very liquids that create these issues is what really helps me change my behaviors and upgrade my life choices. In shorter words, when I learn something important, including damaging things I am doing to myself, I can then use that information to empower my life moving forward. It's my choice. What are your nighttime choices going to be? What have they been? In regards to drinking in the evening, I know how it is going to affect me the next day. We all do. Honestly, the next few days for me. I'm 33. I'm no spring chicken. My motivation and ability to focus will be so much lower. And that has to do with how I've impacted my sleep. What's more, my sleep directly relates to my quality of life as well as my dopamine levels, which also directly relates to motivation, how I feel and ability to literally get things done. Or even just like the desire to go forth and do things. No matter how little I drink, I will have less REM sleep. So will you. I must understand and accept these consequences if I am to continue to choose to have alcoholic beverages at night. More life-changing science. Some hormonal systems recharge and refresh during sleep. And this is crucial for our life. There are major hormone consequences when we lose REM sleep. Our growth hormone release drops well over 50% when alcohol is consumed at night. Growth hormone is vital for metabolism, libido, and repair of tissue. It is essential. Essential. Our growth hormone release is tethered to REM sleep. Are these consequences of consuming alcohol, which triggers your dopamine and tricks you in all sorts of ways, worth losing years off of your life and feeling lesser than you could every day? They weren't for me. Currently, there is one weeknight every week that I drink. It's tough. It's really tough the next day. I drink alcohol Tuesday evenings when recording Hippie and the Hick podcast with my partner. I schedule my days after this 
super differently. So what do I do? I, I'm in my workshop. I'm doing a lot of re reflexive tasks that are still productive, but they're not really asking a lot of processing from me. Reflexive means I can just do them. I'm very used to doing them. Deeply and intimately, I just kind of move through the morning routine and I try and tap into my mind and body as much as I can. So a lot more stretching, a lot more outside time. Obviously, if you're, if you're listening closely, and I said this is Tuesday, so this is on a Wednesday. This is a work day. So I need to make this work for me. You better believe my water intake is at least double that next day after drinking, as well as I am supplementing more than usual. By the way, kudzu, K-U-D-Z-U, is said to not only help with dissipating the desire to drink, but it is equally as beneficial to alleviating hangover symptoms. This information was extended to me through a master level herbalist. So I have not looked up supporting research at this time for kudzu root, but I can attest personally that the effects are positive. Okay, so you know about REM. Did you know that REM is smart? Like creepy smart. In the morning, in the early morning, when your chosen substance such as alcohol or marijuana dissipates, your brain goes back to the same amount of REM and tries to get back all that REM that it lost during your like alcohol-induced sleep hours. The debt for REM sleep tries to be naturally fulfilled in the morning. So think about this. You've probably experienced this. If, if you've drank at night um, and you're not REMing, in the morning, you have extremely vivid dreams. You know, it's hard to wake up in the morning. You feel like you're maybe even sleeping harder in the morning. You're like, why am I sleeping the best or the hardest or the deepest in my last hour or two when I should be waking up? It's because finally all of the substance is out of your system. So now REM can make its way back in. So think about like you were all full of alcohol. So REM got pushed out. Well, once the alcohol goes away, now REM can come back, and it wants to come all the way back. So that's why we have those crazy vivid dreams, and the mornings are like, oh my god. It's because we're finally REMing. The takeaway here, substances reduce our life longevity juice. That is REM sleep, and confuses dopamine, so we engage in behaviors that are not beneficial for a long life. By all means, if you want to live a short, painful, and unhealthy life, choose your vices. Choose the things that dopamine's like, pleasure, reward, avoid all the pains. Go for it. But don't, I don't think you should then be complaining about life or talking people's ears up about what's wrong in your life because you're making certain choices. I will say that when I was going through a lot of this, I wasn't saying anything to anyone. A lot of it had to do with shame and embarrassment because a lot of people looked up to me, especially where I lived in, Mad in Wisconsin, in Madison, Wisconsin, because I was a business owner. I was doing all these great things. I didn't want anyone to know about my issues. It's all up to you. All of the things in your life are a choice. And I will say, when you open up and are honest about what's going on, things will start to get better. 
it's hard. It is so hard for me to be honest here in this podcast saying all these things. I want to come across as perfect. I'm not, though. And you want to know what? The more I share my life story, the more I'm going to be able to help all of you. Because I have gone through a lot. And I've been told I'm a poster child for a lot. So here I am. Please learn from my mistakes rather than live through them yourself. So nowadays, I drink on the weekends, usually sitting around a campfire or I sip some red wine while making a big shared dinner. I love doing that. I'm Italian. My limit is two beverages. I will be honest and say that when I received a phone call a few weeks ago about a friend choosing to take her life by a hanging, that I drank three alcoholic beverages that night. To be fair, they were 5% alcohol. If I were to have chosen to drink three martinis, for example, I should surely expect my face in a toilet for many hours and also my entire next day to be completely useless and shot because I would have just had a full hangover, right? It's not ever worth it if you ask me. So I did choose to drink as a coping mechanism after that phone call. I did try my best and control it. The alcohol content was really low. I didn't get drunk. I drank those three beverages over a four-hour period. So choices, moderation. And a lot of neuroscientists say 80-20 rule. If you can do the things you need 80% of the time and then 20% of the time it's like, oops, or whatever, or oh, fun. You're doing great. You are. We're all doing so great, 80-20. So I live with severe depression as well. Bipolar 2 to be just open and clear. It's still not worth it to drink to ease the depression and anxiety. When I appropriately leverage my dopamine and maintain a regulated nervous system, I can see life as well as myself for all the amazingness that life offers. Right, Because when we are under that lens of depression, it's almost like everything is, is not worthwhile. You just are like, why? Why bother with any of this? When I can get clear and balanced and be regulated, I see life. I feel it. It's good. So it's possible, people. It's just all about our choices, and it can take time. In some regards, and you're going to learn in podcast episodes, it took me years. But here I am now. It is always worth it. Make some day today. We are all addicted to always feeling good nowadays. In my layperson as well as professional assessment, we are all addicted to dopamine. I watched myself and my friends for years make choices on short-term good feelings rather than doing what is needed to have and live a life that fulfills our needs. I watched myself and so many people choose substances and or people that were not good for them. This is all because of dopamine. We do things because of dopamine. Dopamine is the doing chemical. We have to be conscious and aware and try really effing hard in this modern world because dopamine can sneak, sneak up on us and crawl deep into us when we least expect it. Our phones are a great example. Many Americans live with a low-grade addiction 
to their phone and or social media. It's up to us to actively choose the better things for the long term that is our actual life. This is our only life. And with each passing year, we continue to choose our desires over our needs. That life that we know we could be living, that feels pretty darn good every single day, just slips farther and farther away. Choose your envisioned life. Choose the life that gives rather than takes. Make choices that bring more into your life. More smiles, more hours of sleep, more friendly people, more money, more connections. All the best today, Biebs. You got this. This is Breezy signing off.